Today's episode is brought to you by Brave Seltzers, Nova Scotia's first craft seltzer company. I, I, I've always felt like, oh, but I'm not like trained like other people, but I take a mean shot. I take a really good yeah. shot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is an understatement so, for sure. <laughs> so, it's something that I just need to kind of get over. Welcome to Design Makes Everything Better a podcast about design as a process for making decisions and succeeding. Today on episode number seven, Vince interviews Musemo Handahu, digital content creator, community leader, and occasional style icon. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, I'm Vince, your host, and thanks again for checking in. This is a great interview with Musemo Handahu, I uh, have really enjoyed following her Instagram feeds and uh, reading her blogs, and I've been a follower of hers for a little while now, and and she's a a bit of a a little star in our office, and we've uh, spent a fair bit of time uh, talking about her work and uh, what is really uh, a positive message that she is sending to her followers. She is really making her voice heard both in the field of fashion and in the world of Instagram about self-love and um, just moving into the world in a very positive way. So through the power of design and her visual storytelling, she is able to communicate that message, which is a perfect subject and um, topic to talk about on this podcast. We do really get into some of the technical sides of her work and the process that she goes through, both in, you know, what she does in terms of putting an image together, but also how she forms her partnerships with her clients. So it's a really interesting podcast, both on the positive message, which she is so much a part of, but also the sort of technicalities that go into being an influencer. Enjoy the interview. Musimo, thank you so much for being on our podcast. I was so excited. <laughs> so I, I just want to make sure that I, I do pronounce your name properly and you can correct me. Musimo. Okay. Musemo. Musemo. Yes. Musemo. Okay. Yeah. You also go by Mo sometimes, is that sometimes, correct? Sometimes, Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to begin the podcast by just talking a little bit about how I came across you. And cool. your story, because I, I think it's it's interesting how the sort of layers that you have as a as a business as a person kind of unfolded for me as as I found out about you. So, mm-hmm. my wife, who's much more fashion forward than I am, <laughs> or I, I would say that she she actually cares about fashion <laughs> to the degree <laughs> that she dresses herself appropriately. I'm a little bit on the rougher side of things, but uh, she follows you, and uh, she said to me, "You should." Uh, check out Miss Lion Hunter. Mm-hmm. I looked up your, your handle and I found you. And then I I will be completely honest with you. Right at that moment, I was like, well, it's it's beautiful. I just, it's not something that I connect with. I do not buy women's fashion aside from gifts for my wife on occasion, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but I left it, but there was this image that stuck with me. Ooh. I was looking at it and for those that are just listening there's a oh my gosh uh, that's one of my favorite 
Really? Yes. Well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll put this up on um, on the, 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 the page for the, uh, the podcast on our website so that people understand what we're looking at. So anyway, I, mm-hmm. I saw that image and it just, it stuck with me and I, I went back to it and then I took the time and I read it and then I just kind of went over the deep end. So do you mind if I just read this out? I'm not no, very please, good at reading go out loud, but I'll do my best. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> okay. So it says, photographing myself is a joy. To be able to see my body, face, and skin as art, flaws and all, is the core of Lion Hunter. I've worked hard to find the majestic in myself and actually believing it. I beam with pride when I see my growth. I'm here to inspire you to stay the course during your own journey of self-love. It's so worth it. A self-portrait. I just... I've been crushing ever since I have to. Be <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why I'm tearing up like over my own words. I know, but honestly, like I, I read that and I just felt what I see that you're feeling right now when, mm-hmm. when we're on this, in this conversation. Like I yeah. just, so I, I saw that and I'm like, man, there's, there's a lot more going on here. Right. Yeah. So then I went on to find your Ted talk and I saw that, you are not just an influencer. I think that uh, social media influencer is the sort of result of who you are as a brand and what you do as a business. What I've come to see is that you are a business and you are the creative director of your business and you work daily in this creative space, which just kind of lent itself so well to this podcast and uh, which is where I I want to learn more about what you do, how you go to making the creative decisions that you do and um, how you build the partnerships that you have and how your business operates. uh, So maybe to start that off, Mm -hmm. would you be able to describe for our listeners what your business is? So I would say that my business or my brand or who I am is that I am a visual storyteller. I think that's the best sort of descriptor that I have come across that puts everything that I do into kind of like a digestible few words. Essentially, it's using photos, videos, speeches, writing to express who I am to share this journey of being a a Black woman and add that to the narrative of um, seeing more diverse lives lived very boldly. So yeah, that's kind of like where I I see myself as a visual storyteller. And then everything else just kind of falls in there, you know, being a writer, being a stylist, being a style expert on TV, um, creating you know, a few TV segments here and there, but it all just falls under that. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and it, my sense of things and, and some of the digging that I've done mm-hmm. uh, is that you came across this in a rather organic way. You, you possess what um, we often describe in our office as somebody that has uh, superpowers, which is people <laughs> who often straddle more than one field so you you know you studied business and then you moved into the world of fashion so that creative insight that you have the sort of 
points of view that you that you have that you are sharing is empowered by your creative points of view and your strengths. Yeah. But it allows you to do it in a very business-minded way to which will probably help you for, for the sure. long run and success. Yeah. So how could you maybe describe the the sort of move from business into what you what you do now then mm-hmm. for your brand? It's 2009. I had uh, I was in between jobs and I decided I was going to pick up sewing again because I'd learned how to sew back in high school in Zimbabwe. And I went to the fabric store and I kind of picked up some fabric and like this voice just like told me to make a purse. And I'm like, I've never made a purse before. How do I even start that? So I'm kind of asking the ladies there. I'm like, I need to do this. I need to do that. And to the point where I was in there like every other day asking questions and like, help me with this. I want to do this. I want to do that. And so I'm starting to sew, but at the same time, I'm looking for a job. And I end up going back to my old job, actually. (laughs) Uh, They rehired me back. And um, while I was there, I I was miserable. All I could think about was these purses that I was making. And um, also, I didn't have the best manager at the time. So I felt that relationship was very strained. And so I um, was kind of like making these purses as a way to kind of escape um, the way I was feeling at my job. And so a chance meeting with a friend led to me showing my purses in a fashion show. And um, I was like, okay, I think there's something here. I think I need to follow this. So I started to kind of talk with some friends and like, I didn't know anything at the time. I was like, maybe I need a website. So I was talking to a friend and was like, oh, I make my, I make websites. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Did you make me one? And I was like, yeah. So I started just asking friends and there was like one friend that was a photographer and like, great, everything's kind of coming together. And so I'm getting excited about this brand that I'm going to launch, but I'm still miserable at my job. And I remember at the end of 2009, I was just like, I need 2010 to be my year. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I just need it to be my year. Uh And the first day of 2010 was January the 4th, 2010. I get into work and I put my back down and my manager comes to me and calls me to a meeting. And I get told that I'm being laid off. Oh, I thought you were going to say... You put your bag down and she said, where did you get that bag? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> I wish. No, I lost my job on the first day of 2010. And oh so at this time, I'm all, I'm in this space of like the secret and like visualization. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, putting it out there, following my bliss. And I'm like, is this a sign? Because I, I said I wanted 2010 yeah. to be my year. and. I'm going into work and I get fired on the first day of 2010. So I literally go back to my desk and pick up my stuff. I leave. I'm actually laughing as you I'm were walking laughing. out. Yeah. Oh my it, goodness. Maybe it was like delirium, delirium as well. I was just, just like shock. Yeah. Shock, for right? sure. So I'm walking out and I get into my car and I'm like, it's a mix of like laughing and crying. And I get home and after I had like a really good cry, I was like, okay, this is my year. Something. 
right. let's do something. So yeah. yeah, so I ended up launching my my little purse line and just blew through my savings. <laughs> <laughs> I launched my purse line in 2010. I was asking friends to model for me. I was buying clothes from Value Village to to style them in, and I bought this little point and shoot camera that. I was like, I need to return this in 30 days to Future Shop because I can't afford to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was shooting my friends and like putting all my stuff online and like people were like responding to it. And then I thought, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. But like in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, something's missing. I feel like I'm putting everything into this brand, but I'm not doing something for myself. And then mm-hmm. I was like, well, and I start a blog. So that's where things really started to take off. So I right. started my blog and I was sharing my, my, my style sense and whatever I was doing with my life at the time. And mm-hmm. I started looking back on like the analytics and I'm like, who is in Germany that is reading my blog? And I started mm-hmm. to notice just like, it was just people were sharing it. And I think at the time, I mean, there were people that were already blogging, but it was still pretty new. Can you expand on what, what the potential reason might have been that you had people from Germany or Germans really just connect with it? Like what, what you know, is there I, any reason for that? I think it was because one, I was plus size and we were now starting to see, to maybe yearn to see plus size women dressing up and, mm-hmm. and showing up for themselves uh, in the fashion industry. So that's where I started was sharing my style. And because my style is very different and unique, I think people were drawn to that and wanted to see, oh my gosh, like this, I can dress like this on my body. So I think that's where it started to kind of blow up because of that aspect of, of kind of taking charge of how we look. So the more that I posted, I just remember seeing my numbers go up. My readership just kept going up. And um, I ended up finding myself thinking about going to Fashion Week in Toronto, just to kind of go as a guest. And um, while I'm there, it was horrible. My first day was horrible, by the way. I cried my eyes out. So I ended up leaving early, <laughs> back to my friend's oh. house who I was staying with, bawled my eyes out. And then I was like, okay. We got this. We're going to do second day. We didn't come all this way from, from Halifax to, to quit. So the next day I went back to, to, to catch the shows and I ended up meeting this tiny black girl who literally changed my life. I, I remember sitting in the media section because I went as a blogger and I could just see her moving around the crowd, saying hi to people. She was so happy and she was just, she was literally floating. And I was just like, wow, like, I want to be like that. And I was sitting by myself because I didn't know anybody there. And she says hi to me. And so I say hi back and she's giving me her business card and I'm giving her mine. And we both kind of look at each other's business cards. And I say to her, oh, are you Zambian? Because I, I, I recognize her, her last name. Right. And she said, yes, I am. She was like, are you? And I was like, yes, on my father's side. And we literally hugged like (laughs) we were sisters. And by the end of the day, she was introducing me to people that she knew. And like that just changed everything for me. I leave Toronto. I come back to Halifax and I find out that Fashion Magazine, which is like the biggest 
the most read fashion magazine in the country. Right. Yeah. And I find out that they are creating a style panel and they, you know, kind of looking for people. So I, I find an email and I email the editor and I send her this email. And I'm like, hi, my name is Musemo. I think I'd be a great addition to your style panel because I'm plus size. I'm on the East Coast, you know, well, blah. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, selling myself here. Yeah. She emails me like right away. And she was like, oh my gosh, I have been looking for you. I didn't know what your name was, but I saw you at Fashion Week and I loved your style, but I just didn't know right. who you were. She oh, was like, great. you're already in. And I'm like, right. Oh, okay. That's great. So now yeah. that's where things really blew up for me from having sort of that co-sign from fashion magazine and being on their style panel right. is where people really started to look at me as an authority in style. But if I, if I can jump in, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's something interesting about the story that you've shared that mm-hmm. really connects with, with me. As a business owner, mm-hmm. you know, the, the face of adversity in terms of losing a job, you don't have necessarily yeah. a particular prospect ahead of you and you just didn't give up. You didn't, mm-hmm. you didn't let the circumstances just overwhelm you. And yeah. uh, where does that come from? Like, is that just always been a part of you that you've had that, that drive to some extent, it's always been a part of me because of my names. Like my first name means pillar of strength or the main pillar that holds a house up. And my last name means lion hunter. So my parents made it a point that I always knew what my names meant and that I had to live up to them. So like all through yeah, but high also, school. <laughs> that's, that's also hard, right? Like, you know, it, that's got to be... Like, okay, say for instance, my dad or mom said mm-hmm. to me, your name is Vincent the Great. Yeah. Right? Like, okay, seriously, I just want to play video games right now. I think I was, I'm just naturally a go-getter though. So I think to me, right. that was just a, it was a push. Yeah. It was, and it was something that I could lean on to constantly remind myself. So I was like a massive athlete when I was in high school. Like I played basketball for Zimbabwe. Like I was just... That, that lion hunter spirit has been with me since I can remember. So I'm also just one of those people that always says, you know, like, I'm really scared, but I, I really want to do this. I'm just going to jump in. Like, we'll see what happens. You move into that space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. good for you. Yeah. When did Instagram come into play for you? So I was, a, I was late to Instagram. I remember people being on Instagram for like maybe a year or two before I joined in. I just, I wasn't sold. I don't know why I wasn't sold. But um, mm-hmm. when I finally joined Instagram, I was like, oh my gosh, where have I been? Because it was right. just, it was such a great platform to, because, you know, everything I did was photo-based at the time. Right. So it was such a great platform to just put out the best content. And also just the growth at the time on Instagram was was really great. You know, if somebody shared your photo, like you were guaranteed that you'd get, you know, a little good bump in your following. So because everybody was still kind of, you know, getting to, getting used to Instagram. So I definitely saw some growth on there. And right. joining Instagram, I think definitely then just in terms of monetizing everything that I was doing, it was mm-hmm. after I joined Instagram that everything really started to... Started to click. To really grow. And, and you... Do all your own photography, or do you have? Um, when I started, that work yes. For you or, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. When I started, it was all me. It was just me with a tripod uh, and a remote. Not a selfie stick? No, I I didn't do a selfie stick. No, I I skipped that one. Yeah. Good for you. But but when I started, I was, I didn't have the confidence, you know, that Mm -hmm. I have now. I was, you know, shooting at home or like finding a little alley that was hidden that like there was no traffic and I'll shoot there. But I mean, now just the growth, I can shoot on Spring Garden Road right in the middle and it will not shake me. <laughs> but um, I now do have uh, a photographer that I work with. And yeah, that really, it does help. <laughs> yeah, it must help. Like it, just the the level of curation that must go into a lot mm-hmm. of the photography that you do. Like for those that can't see this, of course, if they're listening, there's a, a wall of photographs behind you in, in, uh, in your space. And familiar with those photographs, having yeah. <laughs> been so familiar with your Instagram feed, like each one of those, they, they, they have got to take a significant amount of time. Could you walk me through a little bit of the process that you go through in terms of yeah. making so all that? If I am doing something for myself, actually, even, even if it's for myself or, with, or for a brand, I always create a mood board because I need to see my idea on my computer or on paper and I need to kind of think about it so a little bit before I, I commit to shooting it so sorry just to back up so before just because I, I am I'm very naive to what it is that you would be doing on a regular basis so I'm super I'm super yeah. interested in this <laughs> yeah so when you say that you before you commit to doing it is that before you commit to partners in a, in a product placement or before you even do any particular shot like you before I do any particular shot. Yeah. Okay. So mood boards in terms of partnerships, I do those after I've signed the dotted line. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. So when a brand approaches me and I, and I see what the brand is about, like I'm already thinking in like my head, I'm already kind of putting things together. Like, Ooh, this would look good. This would look good. Right. But okay. in terms of then now creating the concept, I only do that after I've signed the dotted line because it takes me a while to kind of, create my concepts and sure. make sure that it's um, something that I can execute. But if I'm just doing something for myself, if it's something as simple as an outfit, I definitely um, do a little bit of research to see what's what's trending out there, what other girls are wearing. And then I create a mood board. I can, you know, pull from Pinterest, pull from Instagram, pull from magazines, um, that kind of helped me to paint a picture of uh, what I want to do. And, um, and then I, I might like write little words down that help me to figure out what I'm trying to emote in my photos. And then I usually send that to my photographer just so he kind of gets an idea of what it is that I'm trying to do. We'll, we'll post a couple photographs in the show notes, but the particular photograph that's over your shoulder, I think it was the, uh, Pothic wines that you yes. did for that? Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, you know, that that particular image is, is really beautifully composed, like just the lines in it, the colors. Would you go so far with your mood boards to actually compose the portions of the photograph or is the mood boards more material based, like uh, the colors that would be there? Oftentimes with, with, um, 
with us, whether or not, if it's a, if it's a brand or if it's an interior space, or if it's architecture, uh, exterior of a building, whichever it might be, the, the function of the mood board is different, right? Like what sure. it needs to yeah. communicate would be different. So I'm super curious to see what, what, mm-hmm. what something like yours would look like. So the mood board that I created for that shoot, so it had a lot of images that, cause typically I don't shoot like moody. Mm-hmm. So I needed inspiration to draw from in terms of like moody tones. So I have like a bunch of photos that I found just like from all over the place that communicated that. And so things that I was learning was like, okay, I might need like a really darker, like a cutting board or like a placement board for, you know, if I had any like hors or anything like that. And then also just from a, as the subject, I also needed to see what is out there in terms of um, almost like like black luxury, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Because also with my mood boards, I try to only have black people in my mood boards because I'm like, I need to see myself in that space. So sure. I was looking for like velvet and I was looking for like maybe like a luxury lace or yeah. sequence. So I was kind of looking for those tones and those fabrics to and then also like I was I sent this to the client so I had to make sure that they understood what I was trying to create and then so and then when you said like there there are parts of it you're not necessarily in that sort of moody space that that motivation to do something which feels like that is coming from the apothic brand itself exactly so like I look at the brand and I'm like okay so this is a red wine I'm looking at the bottle I'm looking at the writing and especially like they have this uh, like motif on there. It's like a doily pattern or something, yeah. right? Yeah. And for me, that almost reminded me of like, maybe like interview with a vampire, like yeah. that kind of really dark, <laughs> but yeah. you know, yeah. So that's kind of where I, what I thought. And um, I was like, okay, I need to kind of show this, but at the same time, still be me in the photo. So then there's uh, then there's aspects that I'm like, okay, if somebody sees this, they'll be like, oh yeah, that's Miss Lion Hunter. So like having the head wrap with like a little bit of a pop of color, yeah. because even if I was doing an interview with a vampire, I'm walking in there with a head wrap. That is awesome. And I'd love it if in uh, an interview with a vampire, he'd get Tom Cruise to wear one. It, yeah, you know, <laughs> well, I might just like wrap his yeah. head in a head wrap. Yeah. So. <laughs> but that, that, you know, that's, you, you said something there that is super interesting to me in, yeah. in the sense of um, you need to bring yourself forward mm-hmm. in your, in the, the partnerships that you have with your brands, yeah. right? Like, Again, like just it, sometimes it helps for me to articulate where we come from so mm-hmm. you can understand maybe where my, my question is. But, mm-hmm. you know, when we're partnering with businesses, we try to, in many ways, be invisible. Mm-hmm. And we what we provide for our clients is something which they may not necessarily have known that they needed in that particular way, but it mm-hmm. doesn't come from a previous sort of set of projects that we've done. It's, mm-hmm. it's curated for them specifically. Yeah. But when people... And people come to us for that kind of approach. But when people come to work with you mm-hmm. or find a partnership with you, they are partnering with you mm-hmm. and they want their brand to be elevated because it's with you. Exactly. And so you need to really bring out your own personality. And that has yeah. to almost in many ways be the first thing. Yeah. And then you're adopting this sort of 
partnership. So exactly. It, it, as the invisible sort of designer that we are, it's kind of <laughs> easy for us to partner with so many different people, right? Yeah, because yeah. it must be hard for you to say no sometimes to possibly partners that don't look like the right fit and accept others. How do you go through that process of deciding who to work with? Honestly, it's, I think about how does that product fit into my life? Mm -hmm. Because I've never been a person that wants to share a product that I wouldn't actually use in my everyday life or a product that that is not my strength. So I have gotten some partnerships in the past where I've said to the brand, I don't think I'm the best fit for this, but how about you check out so-and-so? I think she would really kill it for you if she, if you guys partnered with her. Just because there's certain things that are not my strength. I do love doing beauty, but I don't do too much of it, just depending on the product, because at some point I'm like, okay, this, this, is, not, this is not my wheelhouse. I need to give this to somebody else that will kill it for the brand and has an audience that is waiting for that kind of content. And I, I feel like the times that I have said no to a brand, even if the money was good, I've always trusted that something else will come along that's yeah. a better fit for me. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it just takes a little longer for it to happen. And, you know, it's just part of the yeah, game. Yeah, that's, that's good long-term thinking, right? Like yeah. it's, it's easy to probably jump on to something if the money's yeah. right. And then oh, yeah. uh, people that are your followers would not necessarily identify yeah. with that. Right. So be like, what is this girl doing? This is not her. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's not me. <laughs> right. Who in, in terms of, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the product placements and the partnerships mm-hmm. that you have, and uh, mm-hmm. they are from the partnerships point of view. Like mm-hmm. uh, let's look at Apothic, for example, just because mm-hmm. we've been using them as a, as an example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how do they, understand or know or how do you discuss who your followers are and Mm -hmm. what what do they represent like i'm you 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 seem like an ambassador to your followers Mm -hmm. in a a way right Mm -hmm. so is there when you say that it's not the right product for your brand are you saying Mm -hmm. that it's not what represents you or is it not what represents the people who are following you on Instagram? Primarily, it's not what represents me. That's that's my first line of defense. And then yeah. I also think about my followers afterwards. But initially, I have to think about myself because if I have to talk about the products, because that's the thing, sometimes a product, um, a brand will come through and I might not know what the deliverables look like. So if I say yes to something and then now I have to do an IG live about that. And if it's not my wheelhouse, I'm not going to sound confident yeah, sure. talking about it. Right. So it has to be, I have to take in consideration myself first. Is it something that I can see in my life? And then also I, I then think about my followers in the sense that they, especially the ones that have been with me through since 2010, mm-hmm. they can say, this is not who Masemo is. And I want to be the first one that knows that and not know it after it's already out there. Yeah. So I have to, I have to think about me first. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. Sure. I want to jump back into the Mm -hmm. conversation about curating the image, but now that we're on the followers topic, Mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder how would you describe them as, Mm -hmm. as is there, is that a 
can you summarize them or like do you think that they're who's drawn to you i think my my following is very diverse in the sense that people find me because of the different things that i do so people have found me because of my ted talk people have found me because of the work that i do with cbc so it's they're very different i find that because of the different things that i do that means that my following ends up being very diverse and broad and also from all over the place. One of the main points in my like Instagram life that like I really blew up was when Instagram featured me on their Instagram. That was just a it was lucky insane. fortune, right? It was right. insane. So they just reached out to you and said Yeah. So they sent want. me an email and they were like, Hey, uh we love to get to know you a bit better. We love what you're doing on your account. And this is not spam. You're not getting spammed. This is really yeah. Instagram. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's like I winning a lotto ticket in a way, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I was literally thinking that I was like, I'm being scammed. I, yeah. And yeah, so I ended up hopping on a call with them. And they were like, yeah, so we want to share your story on our platform. And so I was like, hey, and so I kind of shot some things around the city, kind of talking about my life here and some of my favorite spots. And I thought <laughs> that I was going to be on their blog. I didn't quite realize I was going to be on their page. So they used Amazing. me as a story right. to say, happy Canada Day to Canada. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I remember just, I mean, at that time I had like my notifications on. And my phone was dinging. Like it yeah. was, I, I had to turn it off and I had to turn my phone off. And be like, okay, <laughs> I can't take this. And yeah, Just, my following trebled in, wow. in the space of like weeks. Wow. That's amazing. So to, to come back to the curation of, of an image, you've got your mood board, say presented it to your partnerships or you yourself are excited about what it's going to look like today you would you would reach out to your photographer and you would you would set it up and how and you would take the shots and how successful is that outcome from when you start like do you get a lot of photographs that are kind of in your files that you just haven't used because they didn't work out that well or do you they all end up being successful and posted like what's how long does that photo shoot take for you? I think now because it's it's so natural to me, it takes us a shorter amount of time to get the shot. But also because I do the mood boards, I go in knowing exactly what I want. Right. So for the apothic one, before my photographer arrived, I you know set up my backdrop. I knew I needed a pop, a pop of color, but I still wanted it to be moody. I set up my desk and I put all my, you know, I'd gone to the grocery store, picked up some fruits and some hors d'oeuvres. And so I'd kind of set everything up. And sometimes before he actually arrives, I kind of, I take my own camera and I just kind of take a shot to frame it to see that everything is going to kind of fit into the Instagram portrait that I'm thinking of. And then when he, by the time he gets to my place, it's literally just shoot, shoot, shoot because I've kind of done all the work prior to him arriving. So typically, I think the apothic one, we probably shot for 
an hour at the most because I also had to, I I also love to do video just for myself because later on I love to share the process because you know sometimes people just think that oh it's just click and magic <laughs> so right, I yeah. like to share I like to share the process with my followers the behind the scenes if you if you will and uh, so I have video of that shoot of me kind of putting things together that I would. I'm probably going to share at some point and just break down what was going on in my head, what I was thinking in terms of how I wanted to look and the mood that I wanted to emote. But yeah, probably an hour at the most to do everything. And when I, when, so every time he shoots, I then kind of go through the photos and see if I need to make any changes in my, like my, my, my pose or like whatever. But when I have the shot, I know it. Like it's just, it's just feeling. And even for my photographer, like I know his tell when he takes a shot and he's like, oh, this is good. So I always get excited when he does that because I'm like, okay, let me see, let me see. Right, right, yeah. Uh Well, so much of what you do by the looks Mm -hmm. of it, uh, from what I I can see and understand, so much of it is intuitive. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a total gut feel. It's just a reaction to, does this feel right? Does this look like? Exactly. And I think that's part of... The thing that I love about it is because mm-hmm. there, there is often so much emotion connected to it. Like there's, yeah. there's this one shot of you where you're dancing in your living room mm-hmm. and it just, it's just such a lovely image. And, yeah. you know, maybe even to come back to the image that yeah. kind of gravitated. That did me. it all. <laughs> yeah. Like the emotional component of that, like you, you know, I probably shouldn't have walked away from this at the very beginning, but like you, it's an emotional, it strikes an emotional chord, right? Yeah. yeah. For you. And mm-hmm. like, what, can you tell me why? Like, what, what is it in that particular image that is meaningful for you? It's, it's, it's being able to, to, like I said, photograph myself and not have an adverse reaction. Not to be like, oh, I don't like it. No. Oh, my skin is too dark. Or like, you know, oh, I look fat or like whatever, like to just take a photo and look at it and be at peace. Like, my God, like that is growth for me because it's, it's taken me a while to be there. And that shot is actually literally one of my favorite shots. I have it on my wall. You see? Oh, you do. It's right in the middle. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally one of my favorite shots. It's just such a beautiful image. Yeah. And every time I see it, I'm like, damn. What did that? <laughs> yeah. Well, that that need for celebrating that is, yeah. I think, important, right? Like, yeah. Like it looks like a, I like I was when you, when I saw there was a self portrait, I just mm-hmm. assumed that you were a professional photographer, right? Like it's just yeah. It's so it's compos- <laughs> the composition of it is beautiful, and yeah. just the feeling of it, and it's just yeah. It's it's one of those great ones that yeah. are are worth noting yeah. and celebrating. I actually have a tough time when it comes to adding the word professional to certain things. And photography is one of those things for me. I, I, I've always felt like, oh, but I'm not like trained like other people, but I take a mean shot. I take a really good yeah. shot. Yeah. <laughs> that is an understatement so, for sure. <laughs> so it's something that I just need to kind of get over and be like, yeah, you know, I, I'm a professional photographer. I do this and people pay me to do this. But, um, also just it's also just a testament of um sticking with something and through the highs and lows of it and 
a testament of also just absorbing as much as possible. People might look at an image and, you know, think it's perfect and and think that it, it might, it, it comes so easy to me. Now it might come easy to me, but it's because it's been literally a decade of me watching videos, studying magazines, seeing how people do their photo shoots, seeing, uh, you know, photographers and sharing their behind the scenes and sharing their process and, and learning all of that. I'm literally just always absorbing information. I have so many mood boards, so many things that I've saved over the years. And it's just how I study, how I see how people, people's perspective when they, when they look at a, a model or a, a product and all of that is now why I can have this concept and shoot within an hour or like whatever, because I've just been learning. I've just been absorbing and, and teaching myself things and being on YouTube and being on Skillshare and just be like, okay, I want to learn this today. You know? Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. there's, there is serious grit in, in what you do. And um, I think that anybody can take a little more time to look at, your feet and into the, mm-hmm. I, they would I undoubtedly be <laughs> as amazed as I am. And the, the sort of the, the rigor that comes with being able to show up every day and to do this, this work, right? Like it's not being a creative director for the brand, which is, which is you and an extension of you is um, it's not, it's not always easy. I, I'd suspect. Oh no, you're right. <laughs> what, what are some of the, are the biggest barriers for you that you you feel is, is part of your job what are the biggest challenges that you're that you have to face and try to overcome as a creative director for your brand i think sometimes it's the the burden when you have a platform sometimes it's a burden where people are expecting you to chime in on certain things it, it could be social issues it could be you know, anything that's happening in the world, when you have a platform, people are waiting for you to say something. And I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that my following hasn't necessarily, you know, chastised me if I don't speak on something, but I, I, I still feel the pressure, even though, yeah, I still feel the pressure of, I need to say something about this. I need to say something about this incident that happened and it's exhausting. (laughs) it's exhausting because it's almost like I can't have a moment to, to deal with what's happening, to figure out where I stand or to um, to just process my own emotions, you know, um, before having to say something about something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You you have to probably deal with the pressure of feeling like you're at the the front end of that, that Mm -hmm. sphere that is dealing with a lot of challenges today for yourself as mm. somebody who is a public person as being out there, I'm assuming that I'm just assuming that the, mm-hmm. the pressure that you're feeling is, is possibly coming from this environment and mm-hmm. being a person that people look up to means that, you know, you yeah. have to probably feel like you have to speak for everybody on, especially on cases that maybe you exactly. haven't yet processed yet. Yeah. So that, that's, that's hard. The thing is with being in Halifax, um, I feel like I have a bit of a privilege because I am a recognizable figure in the city. It's easier for me to walk through spaces in the city. So that's something that I don't take lightly. And if 
people of color in Halifax feel uncomfortable being in certain spaces, I feel like because I can move around in those spaces easily, I need to go into those spaces and share my experience in those spaces so that other people can see that it's cool. Like you can still be in those spaces uh, if you want to. But also there's this aspect of we can't expect everybody to say something on social media because everybody's activism looks different. For me, I feel like my activism is in how I live. I'm taking up space. Um, I live in a city that is predominantly white and I'm thriving and I'm showing how I live and I'm using my platform to share more black stories. And that is my activism. So I might not necessarily be a person that speaks up and, you know, is, is holding the, the, the bullhorn at, at the, the protest, but through my content, through my work, that is how I show up for my people. So I think that's another thing that we have to realize is that we have to let people show up the way that they can. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. The piece that, um, you did at uh, the, the TEDx. Mm-hmm. TEDx is uh, <laughs> probably one of the the best titles for a TEDx. I would <laughs> like to think I've so seen. as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fat and black with the audacity, with the audacity to, be a badass. to be a badass. Right? Yeah, exactly. I love that, and I think that's a. You you know it's allowing you to speak in the way that you want to speak. That is, yeah. this is your space and. This is the microphones in front of you and this, yeah. is, this is your time. And I just, yeah. but I also I have to say that it's, you know, it's also good copywriting. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you want to catch the attention of, mm-hmm. of people and there are a lot of things that you can watch mm-hmm. on TEDx and, and yeah. it comes out, right. And it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you, could you tell me a little bit about that and like, how people have received it and how mm-hmm. how you decided to use that as a as a title and, and go from there. So yeah, when TEDx approached me for that, I um I actually took a while to say yes because I I genuinely didn't know what I could share. I was like, I don't think I have anything to share that anybody would want to <laughs> to hear from me. But the more I thought about it, uh and the imposter syndrome kind of went away. I was like, okay. I can share how I am the person that I am today and um, how that has come about. And the title, I just asked myself, like, who am I? I'm like, okay, I'm fat. Check. I'm black. Check. And then I was like, but like, like, how do I live? And I'm like, I mean, I've always said I live loudly. I live boldly. And I was like, but I literally have the audacity to be a badass. Like, because there's almost this, there's, there's people in society that do not want to see fat people be happy. Like, they're like, you, you have the audacity to be happy. And I'm like, okay. But I have the audacity to be a badass because I consider myself a badass. <laughs> and I was like, this title works because I am claiming who I am, but I'm also standing up in the things that I've decided to do for myself, standing up in the choice to be a badass that I've made for myself. And I'm going to share that. (laughs) It's brilliant. I love it. (laughs) 
I uh, will just I just want to thank you so much for your your time. It's it's been an absolute pleasure talking thank to you. you. Um, it's it's so nice to meet. <laughs> it you know I have to say it's just really great having this podcast. Um, mm -hmm. Not only just in the light of COVID that I get to meet new people again, yeah. and it's, <laughs> which is nice for me because it's it's really great to actually reach out to to people that um, I've been following or been mm -hmm. watching for such a long time and mm -hmm. uh, the greatest is that they are just they just exceed anything and expectations that you could imagine for it yeah like I just you're you're <laughs> lovely I just I adore you and uh, you. I think the world of you and uh, just wish you all the best and greatest success in the thank you so future. much so, yeah thank you I appreciate you so much thank you very much this means the world to me Thanks for listening to the Design Makes Everything Better podcast by Breakhouse, a Canadian strategic design firm. This was episode seven with Musemo Handahu. A full transcript and show notes can be found at breakhouse.ca slash podcast slash seven. Have feedback or ideas for the show? Drop us a line at podcast at breakhouse.ca. Today's episode is brought to you by Brave Seltzers, Nova Scotia's first craft seltzer company. 